Thanks, Astrid and the team. That was amazing. Really is good to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Um, this evening is a bit of a weird one for me because um, what I'm preaching on is totally not what I wanted to be preaching on. All right? Um, I wanted to be uh, sharing a message with you that's been on my heart for some time. I don't know if you've read the scriptures. Um, enough to know that God's in the business of renaming things and people all the time, right? Um, and I wanted to preach on that and how that sort of relates to us. Um, in Revelation, it says that God's got a new name for you, uh, a name that only He knows. And I'm like, I want to find out what that is. I want to preach on that. I want to look at why Abram was Abraham and Sarai was Sarah. I want to do that. And God was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do something different. So no matter how much I try to prepare that, I couldn't get past the intro. And then God led me uh, to this, and I, I really want to unpack this well tonight because I feel like it is a word in season for us as a church and for many of you as individuals here tonight. So just know this is, all sermons should be God's sermons, but this one particularly just feels for me like I don't want to be doing this, but God said do it, all right? Um, and that's not to say I'm not excited about it. I am excited about it. So um just entitled this Walking into Promise, right? Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. Uh, but I just want to start off like this and, and just help us relate here to what I think God's going to be doing in our hearts. All of us at some point in our lives have been excited about something, I'm sure. If you think back to your life uh, and the years that you've lived, you may even be in that season now. Think of Rob and Kirsty. You're just in this season where you are waiting for something and there's great anticipation and there's incredible excitement for this something to come and this something to happen. We can all relate to that. For many of us, it's, it's Christmas, it's birthdays. As you get older, birthdays, you look like it's more fear and trepidation as you look forward to it. You know, overseas holidays, things like that, your final matric exam or your varsity graduation day when you've passed and you get that all-important piece of paper to say you're good at whatever it is that you studied. Your wedding day, Jess Armitage, that's coming up. Hey, becoming a parent, becoming a grandparent, and the list goes on and on and on of things that we look forward to. These really are exciting things. And there are many, many more examples of things that we wait for with anticipation and excitement. However, I've found this, that sometimes, depending on the nature of the thing you're waiting for, it can also bring with, a bit, with it a bit of anxiety and possibly even a bit of fear can bring with it a certain amount of challenge because of the nature of this thing you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for this thing for months, weeks, days, years possibly, and then finally it arrives. Take being a parent for example. It is so shocking for me what they trust people with. When I became a parent for the first time and I walked out of the hospital with David, I didn't have a cooking clue what I was doing. Right? I was so excited for my boy to arrive, and I waited 10 months for him to finally show up. It was the longest 10 months of my life, and when he did show up, I was terrified, right? I started becoming a lot, when we went like the prenatal, that wasn't very helpful, right? That put the fear of God into me, and parenting, I won't go into that. But that's just one example. You're so excited about something, but there's also this like nervous sort of anticipation, there's this bit of anxiety, a bit of fear, like, am I going to be good? Am I going to do this well enough? What happens if I kill my child, you know, like give them something they're not supposed to have or overfeed them? Man, you could have overfed our children easily. 
What about going overseas for the first time, right? I went overseas by myself for the first time I ever went to go visit family in Australia, and I was terrified of going to Joburg International Airport. I had this conversation with Rob the other day. How they've designed that airport is ridiculous. But anyway, right, I got lost. It was terrifying. I was excited about the journey, but I was scared of getting there. What about starting a new job? Right? What about starting your own company? What about things like that? The list goes on and on. There's so many things we look forward to, but we can relate to this idea of even though we're excited about something, there's also a little bit of fear maybe attached to that, or there's this bit of angst that we carry because of this thing that we've been waiting for. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like for God's people as they were coming out of the desert and standing before the River Jordan while it was in full flood the evening before they were going to inherit the promised land and step into the promised land. The earlier generation had failed totally. They had had an opportunity to step into the promised land before, and they disobeyed God. And so for almost 40 years, they had been wandering around in the desert so that that generation died off. The new generation, most of them had been waiting for 40 plus years. Joshua and Caleb, who were faithful to God with the first generation, had been waiting almost 80 years to enter into the promised land. And here they stand on the eve of inheriting their promise. Here Joshua says to them, the night before they step in, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous things amongst you. And this is really the heart of what I believe God wants to leave with us tonight. It's this promise. It's this word. I think it is in season for us as a church. I think it is in season for a lot of you as individuals that you need to consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord is going to do a new thing. Not just because it's a new year. This is not just a new year message. Remember, I wanted to preach on something different. I just, I just think this is a season God is taking us into as a church and for many of you as individuals. God is promising that tomorrow He's going to do a new thing amongst us. As a church, as God's people in this country, you look around and you go, how can that be? I think a light shines brighter in the darkest darkness. The, the healing powers of salt are never so much appreciated as when it actually heals a wound. When salt is deeply appreciated in my home, it's when it goes on to food that was bland. We're in that season in our country. As a church, there's so much that God wants to do with us. As God's people, there's so much that God wants to do for us. We're in this season, and I believe we're standing on the precipice of something awesome. I think we're going to be stepping into a season of breakthrough, a season of victory and fulfilled promise. And I think we need to be excited. I think we need to have a huge amount of anticipation and expectancy. I think we need to be waiting on God to do something wondrous with us. But as we wait with anticipation, as we look forward with expectation and excitement, there is most certainly also going to be challenge. There are going to be battles and there is going to be some anxiety that we have to deal with. That's just the nature of the things that God calls us into. If you think about the Israelites as they looked at the Jordan River in flood, as they thought about the fortified cities that lay on the other side of the Jordan. Mixed with their excitement, there must have been a bit of fear and a bit of anxiety and a bit of doubt that they had to wrestle with as God led them into that place. Remember the first city that they were going to encounter was Jericho, the most fortified city in the land of Canaan. Most of life is like that. 
as we walk with the Lord Jesus. Most of life is like this, where at our times of highest hopes and greatest expectations and greatest excitement, there comes with it the accompanying challenges and battles. We face those things at the very same time. So tonight what we're going to do is is we're going to look at how the people of Israel handled this. We're going to look at what it meant for them to prepare themselves to enter in, what was necessary for them to do, and what it meant for them to cross the Jordan into the promised land. And I believe this, as we do that, God's going to impact for us, and we're going to learn for ourselves what it means to step into those seasons that God has for us as individuals, as families, and as a church. We're going to learn what it means for us. What is it we need to be doing to step into the promised land and to step into those things that God has for us in this next coming season. And I really believe that this is on the heart of God because it is incredibly important to understand that God is not swayed by time. We can miss what God is going to be doing. We can miss out. God is patient and He will wait a whole generation to do what He wants to do all over again. He did it with the guys, in the, Israelite, the guys in the desert, with the Israelites. He can do it with us. And I don't want to be a part, of gener- a part of a generation that says to God, no, we're too scared to step into these things. I really believe it's important we understand what's necessary for us as individuals and as a church so that we don't miss out on the blessing of God, but that we step into it. So let's read together. We're going to read a chunk of Scripture, um, and then we're going to unpack it as we go. Joshua 3, 1 to 17. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do an amazing thing among you, or amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that you may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that you will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot into the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at full flood all during the harvest season. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground as well. That is just such an amazing portion of Scripture and so rich with good things for us. But I want to jump straight into it because there's things that the Israelites did and had to learn and the things that we have to learn and do if we're going to be like them and step into the promised land and into the promises that God has for us. The first one is this. The Israelites entered into the land because there was an unequaled emphasis and importance placed on the presence of God with them. Aside from the miraculous way in which they crossed the Jordan, the most important feature of this chapter is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord God Almighty. The importance of the Ark of the Covenant of God is stressed in two ways. One, by the number of times it's used. We haven't read chapter 4, but in chapter 3, it's mentioned seven, nine times, sorry. And in chapter 4, it's mentioned seven times. That stressed the importance of the Ark of the Covenant is stressed by the amount, the sheer amount of time that's mentioned. And then the next way it's stressed is the nature with which it is spoken about. The commands given about the Ark of the Covenant. If we had more time, I would unpack this and we would look at each verse and we would look at each time it was mentioned and just go through the significance of what was being said about the Ark and exactly where it was and what was happening with it. But we don't have time. Just suffice to say, it was important. The most important thing that the Israelites needed to focus on. So what was important about the Ark? You may know, you may not know, but the Ark of the Covenant represented for the Israelites the person and the presence, the power and the promises of God. It was the very presence of God with them. It pointed to the fact that the people of Israelite set out to cross the Jordan, not in their own strength, to go and to invade enemy territory and take possession of a land that wasn't theirs but was promised to them by God. In their God's strength, not in their own. For it was God who was going before them to have victory in the promised land. That's what this meant to them. That's what it signified. It literally was the presence of God going before all Israel into victory. And this is so much like the Christian life. This is so necessary. If we're going to step into the promised land, if you're going to take hold of the things, guys, that God has for you, if you're going to have victory in those seasons that look difficult but are so exciting, you need the presence of God to go before you. You need the Lord. That's why Paul cries out in 2 Corinthians when he's contemplating the challenges and the trials of ministry. He says, and who is adequate for all of these things? See, he realized in and of himself, there is nothing in me that can do the will of God apart from God in me. And then he answers his own question a little bit later. He says this, and such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate. 
in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God. In other words, if you're going to step into promise, if you're going to walk into promise, if you're going to rob the enemy, experience victory, if you're going to be used by God powerfully and effectively, and if we're going to inherit for ourselves as individuals and as a church what God has for us to inherit, we must know that it is only going to happen with the power and the presence of God leading the way. It's the only way it's going to happen. You need to remember that wherever God leads us and whatever God leads us into, it is ultimately always for our good and for his glory. But he needs to be leading us. And we pray like Moses prayed in Exodus. If your presence does not go with us, then Lord, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, if God's presence has not led the way, if God is not with you, don't go. We don't move. God goes with us. God sets the way. He trailblazes for us. He's ahead of us. He's with us. He calls us. We follow. We respond. The presence and the power of God is necessary. In point number two, Joshua and the people knew the importance and the necessity for consecration before the Lord. So point number one, the presence of God must be with us. Point number two, we need to consecrate ourselves. In verse five, Joshua commands the people to consecrate themselves in view of the wonders and the miraculous works God was going to do amongst them. But for a lot of us, I know, we don't know what the word consecrate means. It just means this. It means to be made holy. And holy means to be set apart. The word consecrate has this idea of preparing one's self to be spiritually pure and clean and set apart for God. Now, to be honest, when I read that and I thought about what the Israelites had to do, go to war and go to battle in the promised land, even though God was with them, they still needed to do that. It doesn't really sound like something a military leader would need to say or should be saying at that time. Joshua was the military leader of Israel and the spiritual leader of Israel taken over from Moses. If I was there, it would probably be sharpen your swords, sharpen the arrows, fix them up, duct tape on them, polish your spears, and let's get ready for battle, right? But this is almost a war cry from Joshua given by God through Joshua to the people. And God does this because His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And the people do it and they embrace it because for the people of God, we understand that spiritual preparation is a vital part of victory in the physical and in the spiritual realm. Because being rightly related to God, that brings power and the presence of God upon our ministries and our work. That God has called us to do. There was a time in my life, and I'm not speaking about being saved or not saved here. I'm talking about the power and the presence of God, the anointing upon you to do what God has called you to do. There's a time in my life, and I've shared this testimony openly before, where I was living in sin and in ministry at the same time. Don't have time to go into it now. Come and talk to me afterwards, and I'll happily give you all the details. But it was a terrible time for me because I wasn't open. I wasn't honest, and I was keeping stuff in the dark, yet I was ministering to God's people. 
And it was a draining time. I'm not saying I wasn't saved. I didn't say God didn't love me, that his love um, wasn't with me, that he didn't have me. But I know for a fact that I was weak, that there was no authority, there was no power, there was no victory until the day I came before God and said, God, enough is enough. My desire for wholeness and healing, my desire to repent far outweighs my desire to remain silent and to avoid embarrassment and shame. And just like that, God broke things. And it took a long time, but slowly power came back and anointing came back and authority came back. And we all step into that. And that's not like a puffing up of myself. We all know what it's like to operate in the anointing and authority of God if you've been filled with the Spirit. And that came back. And this is what was necessary for the people of Israel. And it points, this, this idea of consecrating ourselves, this necessity to, to come and to cleanse ourselves before the Lord and to be open and honest about our failings and not to keep things in the dark, points to a personal responsibility we have in receiving what God has promised for us. The, the, the idea of grace is not destroyed here. The idea of God being the one who does it for us is not destroyed here. There is a responsibility we carry to do the things that God has called us to do and to prepare our hearts before him. This word consecrate was especially used in connection with confession and the cleansing in the Old Testament through the sacrifices of, of animals and the washings of the priests. That's how it was used. And it portrays this need to deal with sin in our lives before we step into what God has for us. And I think there is a place where as a church, we need to repent of stuff corporately. As individuals, we need to repent of things that God is bringing to the fore. Otherwise, we're going to stand on the edge of the swollen Jordan River and you're never going to enter in because you've taken too lightly the call of God to repent of your sin. Even though Jesus has paid the price and you're walking with him as a saved son and daughter. Where there is a lack of consecration or confession of sin and a lack of commitment to God's purposes for our lives, your service and your ministry and the work that God has called you to do will suffer and it will lack power, it will lack authority and it will lack anointing. If you think about Achan and his family, a little bit further on, the Israelites step into the promised land. They defeat the city of Jericho, which was the most fortified city there. Then they go to the city of Ai, one of the least fortified cities, and they lose. Why? Because Achan and his family took something from the city of Jericho they weren't supposed to take. And when the Israelite army go up against the city of Ai, they are destroyed. And then Joshua is down in the ground with his face in the dust, and God says to him, get up. Dust yourself off, deal with the sin, and then move on. And so they go on this whole big elaborate, you know, um, discovery course to find out what the problem is. And they find Achan and his family with a bunch of gold and livestock that they had taken, which they weren't supposed to take. And unfortunately for Achan and his family, God says, now stone them. And they die as a result of their sin. Then the Israelite army have victory. And they move on. It just spoke to me again of how sometimes we can be so insular and think that our sin just affects us. Your sin will affect the family of God as much as it will affect just you. You can't come to church and be part of the body of Christ and think that you can live in sin and it be in a vacuum. It is going to permeate 
the church, God is going to withhold blessing. There will be moments where we do not experience breakthrough if we do not bring to God what He's calling us to bring to God. And we keep it secret sometimes because we don't want people to know that we're not a good Christian. But the irony is not confessing is being a bad Christian. Your sin is going to affect you and God is saying, come and bring it before me because there is a promise that I want you to be walking into. And that promise is far greater than the sin you carry. I can heal and I can break this thing and there will be victory. So let's go together as a people. So it happened to Achan and his family, but then God restored. God is saying that Israel is not to lose sight of what their God can do. He can do the incredible. He can do the superhuman and the supernatural. However, for the Israelite people, consecration and holiness preceded the miracle and the victory. I just want to clear something up here quickly. That doesn't mean that crossing the Jordan and dispossessing enemies was a work of the Israelites and as a result of them being holy. The things that they did in consecration, the things that we do as we confess our sins before the Lord, those are works of righteousness, but they do not gain us any more favor with God and love with God or love from God. Rather, those acts of repentance and consecration and confession remove the barriers of God's power in our lives. Removes the barriers and that stop God's authority and anointing in our lives. Or put it in a better way, it stops God from choosing to withhold it from us. God's power and the fellowship with Him, the fellowship we have with one another, is heightened and deepened and intensified when we prepare our hearts before the Lord to receive His grace. Then we're ready to go into battle together. third point is this, the third and final point is this. We must trust, as the Israelites did, the word of the Lord and respond to him in faith and obedience. Verse 8 through to verse 17 highlight the commands given to the priests and to the people, with an emphasis being placed on hearing and obeying the words of the Lord. And we see in this section this passage, the faithfulness with which the people of Israel respond to God and the obedience they display before the Lord. According to God, it was the priests who were meant to take up the Ark of the Covenant and go before the people, and then the people were meant to follow into the Jordan River. So after breaking camp, this is exactly what happens. The priests take up the Ark of the Covenant. They walk towards the river's edge. They lead the way and the people start to follow. Can you imagine what this is like? What is about to happen here and what is happening is not making any sense. It's not like they woke up to find the River Jordan dry the morning of entering into the promised land. It was in full flood. And it's not just a little trickle. It's in full flood. And I'm not too sure after having lived in Egypt for hundreds of years that many of the Israelites could swim well. Right? Plus, they had to take all of their possessions and children along with them. So they see the priests walking to the edge of the river, and the priests themselves are in the front, and they're thinking, I wish I was not born a Levite at this time. 
but they walk regardless of how insane it seems and how illogical it seems because they know God has promised and God is going to do something. God has said, I must do this. I'm going to do this. His presence is, we're carrying literally the presence of God. We've consecrated ourselves and this is what happens. As they step into the water, immediately a miracle happens. Immediately a miracle happens. And if you read that, it says that they crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Trusting the word of God and responding in faith and obedience will produce marvelous and wondrous works amongst God's people. Not just in your life as a son and a daughter, but as a church in this country, in the world as we respond to God in faithfulness, as we respond to him in obedience, as we respond to his word and word alone, God will do good things with us. If we're ever going to step into the promises of God, if we're going to overcome the battles in the promised land, if we're going to face the giants and slay them, if we're going to take hold of what God has called us to take hold of, our final authority must be the word of God. It cannot be what makes sense to us. It cannot be someone else's personality or charisma or a feeling I have. It needs to be the Word of God. It needs to be the presence and the power of God with us. Our faithfulness to respond to His Word and a purified and consecrated heart before Him. We need to respond accordingly. And as we studied this story and as I went through it, I was really struck by the amount of amazing stuff God did for the people in the promised land. But a couple of things happened as two million Israelites moved into the promised land. Apart from the river drying up, right, these three things happened. And these three things will happen for us as we step faithfully into the things God has called us to, the way that God has called us to step into them. One, and the most important thing is this, God will be magnified. That's what will happen. When the supernatural starts to happen with God's people in a world that denies his existence, when things that happen that shouldn't happen for the glory of God's name, God is glorified. That's what will happen. The second thing that will happen is this, we will be energized. We will be energized and motivated. I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the church. How much do we appreciate when God moves in a miraculous way? We long for that. Not because we're after the miracle, but because we see the beauty and the power of God at work. And He uses us. That just energizes us. The third thing is this. And I love this. The enemy of God's people are terrified when the Israelites step into the promised land. Because they go, surely God is with them. Our enemy is terrified when God starts to do miraculous works through his people. Those three things will happen. God will be magnified, we will be energized, and the enemy will be terrified. When we seek the presence of God to go where he leads, when we consecrate ourselves, when we repent of our sins daily, when we seek to be holy as he is holy, and when we place our every trust in the authority of the word of God and live accordingly, that will happen. But crossing the Jordan and inheriting what we're going to be stepping into as a church 
dispossessing the enemy, it's not going to be a piece of cake. You need to know this. It's not going to be easy. You're going to need to be, we are going to need to be totally committed to going up against chariots and horses and armies from the dark side. We're going to need to be ready and committed to getting our hands dirty for the glory of God. That's what we're going to need to be ready to do. We're going to be successful in battle when we're committed and focused on obedient, faithful walking before the Lord. Rather than the way the Israelites before the new generation had walked according to their own flesh and their own desires, wrapped with fear and anxiety, doubting the word of the Lord and his ability to do great things. For believers today, crossing the Jordan, I think, represents moving from one degree of glory to the next, one level of Christianity to the next. It's not a picture of a believer dying and going to heaven. Canaan was certainly not heaven for the Israelites. It was a promised land. It was a good place, but there was tough things to be dealt with there. It's a picture of us entering into spiritual warfare to claim what God has promised us for His glory. This for us should mean great excitement, great anticipation. We should be over the moon knowing that God is going to do something with us as His people. But we have to put an end to human effort. We have to put an end to our desire to do things our own way. We've got to take seriously the presence of God. We've got to want this with everything that we have and give to God everything He deserves. We've got to purify our hearts and trust God and hang on His every word. That's what we've got to do. That's what I believe God wanted me to share with us tonight. And so I'm going to ask the team to come up and just, um, actually, I don't know what song you need to play, but you need to play something, right? And we're going to respond to God. And this is how I believe we need to respond to God tonight.